This Christmas, we'd like to invite you to be a part of what God is doing through a significant life in our local community and beyond. At home in Victoria, Texas, we partner with several organizations providing essential resources to those in need, sharing what God has blessed us with so that He can multiply and meet the needs of those in our community. Equipping and encouraging local pastors and church planters worldwide is the heart of Pastor Jim Graff's significant church network. Globally, we continue our work with Ukrainian refugees and developing greater access for children in some of the poorest areas of India to get a first-class education. Through weekly live television, radio, and other on-demand media, the Holy Spirit continues to move through the Pray.com platform. And we're excited about what God is going to do in 2024 as our territory continues to expand. Partner with A Significant Life and Pastor Jim Graff. Consider a generous one-time gift this Christmas. Visit us at asignificantlife.com. Merry Christmas, everybody. I love this time of the year, and I'm sure you do too. As we sing our favorite Christmas hymns, they paint such a beautiful picture of God's plan in bringing His Son and our Savior into the world. Jesus will forever be our greatest gift. And we enjoy celebrating big during this season as a family and a church family, and we're so glad you've joined us. I think you'd agree it truly is the most wonderful time of the year. And it's so important in all the hustle and bustle of the season to reflect on the miracle of Christmas, that when we were at our very worst, God sent His best, His Son, to rescue and redeem our lives. There's no greater news than that. And we hope today this message fills your soul with joy. As a child, I was really only raised in two different houses. And when we were five years old, my parents made a decision that we were going to move to our second house. I didn't want to do it because, first of all, I loved the baseball field that was in the backyard of my first house. I loved a certain tree that I used to climb all the time. And then I loved this friend that lived across the street. And I didn't want my parents to take me away and to bring me to this new friend. So my parents were wise. They could tell that I was kind of upset. And first of all, my mom made me my favorite meal, which was lasagna. I wasn't introduced to South Texas cuisine at that time in my life. But after eating the lasagna, they began to talk to me about the fact that our new house was going to have a baseball field in the backyard as well. It was going to have trees that I could climb. And they told me that not only would I still get to see my old friend, but I was going to make some really good new friends as well. And I say that this morning because sometimes when we don't know the purpose of something, we tend to resist it instead of receiving it well in our hearts, right? And that's what we're going to study today. We're going to study the purpose of Jesus. And I think as we do, what we're going to find is that there are many people who are resisting God in certain parts of their life, and it's simply because they need the Word of God to speak with, with a little more clarity 
in their soul. John wrote his gospel for that purpose, and he wrote this in John 1.14. He said that in Jesus, the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, John was an incredibly privileged man because could you imagine having the opportunity to hug Jesus, to hear the laughter of Jesus, to hear the truth of God flow from the lips of Jesus and to enjoy the transformational presence that Jesus brought into people's lives. John experienced all of that and he wrote his gospel as an older man shortly before his death and he said, here's the goal of my gospel and that is I don't just want you to believe in Jesus, but I want you to believe in a way where you end up finding life through how you believe in Jesus. You know, everybody in the first century, of course, knew that Jesus existed. And even in our day, we have abundant proof that would let us know that Jesus Christ existed over 2,000 years ago. For instance, Josephus was a prominent Jewish uh, historian of the first century. He wrote uh, things about Jesus. Pliny the Younger was a prominent first century Roman governor. He wrote things about Jesus. Tacitus and Suetonius were prominent first century Roman historians. They wrote things about Jesus. And here's the thing. Some of these guys weren't Christ followers, but they wrote about Jesus because there was abundant proof that Jesus the man and the movement of first century Christianity truly existed. But there's a huge difference from having just proof that Jesus existed to really receiving the purposes for Jesus. Jesus' existence in our hearts. And that's what John's gospel was geared towards. I want to read you a scripture that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 8 where he encouraged Timothy, I want you to remember Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, descended from David, for this is my gospel. Now isn't it kind of intriguing that Paul would write to somebody who was a pastor who was probably in his early 30s at that time. He gave his heart to the Lord whenever he was in his teens and probably when he was between 15 to 17, he started following Paul in his apostolic journeys and he became a pastor and now he's a pastor a couple decades after starting to follow Christ and Paul says I want you to remember Jesus Christ well of course he would remember Jesus Christ but the Greek word's interesting it means I want you to rehearse it and I want you to be mindful of something that moves you to action now I think we'd all agree that it's one thing to remember Jesus mentally it's another thing to remember him to the point that we're moved to action For instance, do you know a Christian this morning who lives with a lot of condemnation in their life, even though God wants them to have a new beginning and God wants to bring a a great end because of how they embrace that new beginning? That's what Paul's talking about. Do you know a believer this morning who is stuck or they settled into a sin because they haven't found the strength to overcome that sin? That's what Paul's talking about when he says, I want you to be 
mindful to the point that you're moved with action so God moves in your life. And to all of us here today, we know how easy it is to forget even important things in our life. You know, when Tamara and I were first married, I had this horrible habit, and I'd like to say that I've beaten it, but I still struggle with it today. And this horrible habit is that I leave my keys in places I shouldn't leave my keys. So when we were first married, she would say to me, honey, when you come home, take your keys, put them in the same place every single time, and then you, will, you can quit blaming me for, leaving, for losing your keys if you'll do that. So I didn't listen. So I think it was about our second Christmas as a married couple that Tamara bought me this little clicker that you clicked it. And wherever your keys were, your keys would beep. And I thought that was the most wonderful thing for about three months. And then I lost the clicker. How many of you know I'm a pretty hopeless case? And that's what Paul's saying when he's saying, now I want you to remember Jesus. I want you to remember in a way that causes you to do things that are truly going to change some circumstances that you're facing in your life. So this morning, we're going to talk about remembering why Jesus came. And there's three reasons. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, where we have a wonderful explanation about why Jesus came. And the first thing he came to do was to save us from spiritual death. The epistle says this in Ephesians 2 1 As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. Now, who is the you that Paul is talking to? Well, he's talking to believers in his epistle, and he's saying to believers that you used to be dead. Now, obviously, if they're reading the epistle, they're not dead as they're reading the epistle, right? So he's not talking to people who you know, we're experiencing physical death, but he was talking to people who experience spiritual death on the inside of their hearts. And he's saying to them, you are no longer in the condition where your heart is in the place of spiritual death. This is what Paul was speaking of in Romans 5 verse 12, when he said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. So we can all see that if we live long enough as human beings, the natural thing is that our physical life begins to die. But sin has caused more than just physical death. We see that sin has caused marriages to die. We can see that sin is causing people's potential to die. We can see that sin is causing people's health to die. But what is the beginning of that death that we all know is our greatest enemy in life? Well, the beginning of that death was spiritual death death that happened in the heart of Adam and Eve. Now, when we think of the word death, the best way to think about death is just to think of separation. One day you're going to hear that Pastor Jim has died. And what happened when Pastor Jim dies is my spirit is going to leave this body that loves enchiladas and tamales sometimes more than it should. And when my spirit leaves this body, you know what? I'm not going to be able to tell my body to go get some enchiladas and tamales anymore because my spirit's going to be gone. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened was mankind was separated from God. That's why Matthew, who was a gospel writer raised in the Jewish faith, marked a very important incident 
that happened the very moment that Jesus died on the cross. He wrote about it in verse 50 of chapter 27 when he says, And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice for the last time, and he gave up his spirit, at that very moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now why did he note that it was torn from top to bottom on the very moment that Jesus cried out? Well, it's because Jewish people knew that curtain was so thick, about four inches thick, that you literally could have had it pulled in opposite directions by oxen, and that curtain wouldn't have torn. But there was an earthquake that happened during the resurrection of Jesus, so people could have thought that that curtain was torn from the bottom to the top. But Matthew made it clear that it happened at the very moment that Jesus breathed his last breath, and it happened from top to bottom because God was saying, you know what, that curtain, it represents the fact that man is separated from God. And how many of you are glad this morning that you're not in sin and separated from the love of God anymore? Amen. You have Jesus living on the inside of your heart. So as for you, you used to live in spiritual death. The writer of Hebrews goes on to write, there's a second reason why Jesus came, not just to save us from spiritual death, but to break satanic dominion in our life. He goes on and he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's saying that as a believer, you used to be in spiritual death and you used to follow a spirit that was messing up your life and jacking up your life and keeping you from experiencing the good things that God wanted to experience, you'd experience because he loves you so much in life. And some of you here today, your heart's longing, yearning for the goodness of God to bring you experiences that cause you to know firsthand how good God is. Can I tell you when that happens? It happens when you first of all recognize that the problem of spiritual death has been taken care of in my life. And then you make a decision, no more satanic dominion in my life. Some of you are believers, but you still live in fear. And God can't bring forth the future he's dreaming of in your life. If you keep living by fear, you have to learn to live by faith. Other people, you struggle with, you know, bitterness over things that have been done to you. And before God can be good to you, you've got to break that bitterness and quit thinking so much about what's been done to you. And you've got to let God make more of the things happen that God wants to make happen for you in life. Can you say amen? You know, the problem is that for most of us, we weren't raised in a Bible teaching church. And because of that, our version of the gospel isn't the gospel at all. I'm going to illustrate that this morning by talking about some movies. Since it's the holidays and we all enjoy movies over the holiday season. Now, Tamara's making me watch way too many Hallmark movies. How many of you guys will pray for me? And, and I tell her, man, why doesn't somebody make a movie where all the good stuff 
happens after they say I do instead of leading up to when they say I do, right? But anyway, I like movies too. And when you look at statistics, for some people, their problem, the reason Jesus isn't doing much in their life, the, the, the reason they know he exists, there's proof he exists, but they're not re- receiving much of the purpose of Jesus is because they have a Santa Claus version of Jesus. In other words, they think that, you know what, if I'm good, I'll go to heaven, but if I'm bad, I won't go to heaven. Now, I can just give you one thought that should show you how wrong that belief is, and that is if it was possible for you and I to go to heaven simply by having a desire to do more good in our life, how could a loving God look at his son and cause Jesus to go through the excruciating pain of Calvary if all he had to do was to send an angel and to say to us, you know, you really need to be good people, not bad people. See, we're not good people who got saved were sinners. And when you committed just one sin, you crossed the line and you were separated from God. And now because of that, you needed saved from spiritual death. And, and, and God wanted to start breaking the satanic domination that brought pain into our life. And so it's not like miracle on 34th Street that, you know, if somebody's good, God's going to be good to them. If somebody's bad, God's going to be bad to them. Listen to what Jesus said about God's heart towards even the naughty people of the world. He said this in Matthew 5, 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you notice that God isn't good to the good people and not good to the naughty people? How many of you are glad this morning God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Because he wants the world to have life, right? So the first version is the miracle on 34th Street. No, that's not how God relates to people. God is good to everybody. The second movie I'll use is Saving Private Ryan. How many of y'all saw Saving Private Ryan? It was one of my favorite movies. And in the movie, Private James Ryan was one of four sons who was in World War II based on a true story. And he is fighting in the as part of the 101st Airborne Division. And he's in Normandy and he's in the midst of heavy conflict. They find out that his other three brothers have died and because of that, General George Marshall ends up telling Captain John Miller that we have to save his life and we need to send him home to his parents. So soldier after soldier loses his life in an effort to save Private Ryan, right? I know most of you saw it. And finally, man, Captain Miller himself has to go. And he goes through all this danger. Finally, he reaches uh, Private Ryan, and, and it's, you know, with battles and bombs and gunfire all around him, and he gets hit. And it, the most moving part of the story to most people is when Captain Miller, who was played by Tom Hanks, reaches Private Ryan, and he lets him know. And with his last two breaths, he said to him, earn this earn it. See, that's how a lot of believers treat the coming of Jesus. They believe because 
He died and he suffered that we should earn it. And we certainly should live our best lives. But how many of you know that God doesn't bless us because of who we are? He blesses us because he loves us so much. He's so powerful to bless. And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you till the end of the world. I'm going to bless your life. Amen? That's why Ephesians says this in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. It says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that anybody could boast. The blessings God has brought into my life have taken obedience, but they were far beyond my ability to bring them into my own life. So you say, Pastor, what's a movie that gives us a good version of who God is? Well, to me, one that really shares the spirit of the gospel would be Little Princess. I watched Little Princess with my daughters whenever I was taking hepatitis C medicine. And that medicine made me cry easy. So that was not a good day in my life. But I'm telling you, it was so touching to see this good-hearted army uh, hero. He, He dropped his little orphan daughter off and he said baby, I'm going to come back for you. And they thought he died. And so the leader of the orphanage started treating her poorly. People tried to figure out how to steal her inheritance from her. And she stayed good through it all because her dad was such a good person. But as the movie goes on, you get concerned. Is he really coming back? And one day, this wonderful man comes back into the life of this little girl who'd been abused by wrong spirits. Are you getting the message this morning? We've been saved from spiritual death. That's why Jesus came. That's why that curtain was torn in two. But not only have we been saved from spiritual death, listen, we don't have to put up with the stuff the devil has done in our life anymore. God wants us free from satanic dominion. That's why Jesus came. He came to destroy the work of the enemies and hearts, and he came to bless us. He said in John 14, 18, he said, I won't leave you as orphans, I promise you. I'm gonna come to you. And at Christmas he came to us, and of course he's going to come a second time. But let's talk about the third thing, the third purpose of Jesus coming. And it wasn't just to save us from spiritual death or to free us from satanic dominion, but he came to restore the blessings that sin damaged in our life. The writer of Ephesians continues, and he said, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But he said, God in his great love, who's rich in mercy, made us alive. That's coming out of spiritual death. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions and it's by grace now that we've been saved. Grace is what God does and we're only saved because of what God did. He sent his son into the world and he sent that son because he wanted to restore the things that sin has damaged in our life. That's why in Romans 5, and I hope you'll read it this holiday season, it first tells us that through Adam, sin came to the whole human race. All of us were separated by, from God. But then in Romans 5.17, it says this, if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life 
through that one man, Christ Jesus. Did you get that? That through Adam, the enemy had his way in your life. But Jesus came so that you would have an abundance of grace. You would have an abundance of everything you need to live in the marriage that your heart always wanted to have. You as a family would have an abundance of everything that you need to see what sin did swallowed up in the victory and the joy of God. I love this when you read Peter's epistle. In 1 Peter 1.10, he talks about the prophets. And he said, now concerning our salvation, he said, the prophets who spoke of the grace. Everybody say the grace. Who spoke of the grace that was to come. They searched intently and with the greatest care. In other words, listen, when the prophets were searching all the facts, and there were 300 different prophecies that Jesus supernaturally uh, fulfilled. There's no other religion like Christianity where God prophesied things and then brought all those things to pass. And when the prophets were searching and they were trying to figure out, is this the one? Peter says they were searching for the grace. They were searching for the one who would free them from sin's dominion and established blessing in their life. They weren't just searching for a historical figure. There's a, a Christmas story that really shares with us why so many people know Jesus existed, but still they long for blessing in their hearts that they haven't learned to live in yet. And most of you know the story. It's in Matthew 2. And it says, after Jesus was born, in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And the reason they came, according to many scholars, is because Daniel had taught them that it had been promised to the Jewish people that when the Messiah was born, there would be a star that attracted the world to the Messiah. So these men, who were very intelligent, wealthy men, saw the star and they began to make a journey to where Jesus was. And the Bible says that when they came to Jerusalem, they asked, where is the one who was born, the king of the Jews? Because we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed because he didn't want there to be any other king over Judea but himself. So he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem, in Judea, because that's what the prophet Micah has written. And it's interesting that these men, first of all, Herod, who was not going to die long from then, but Herod was more concerned about being king of his life than receiving the purpose of Jesus, which is to be the king who defeated eternal death in his life. And then you have these religious men, chief priests, very prominent religious leaders, and they didn't even make a five-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see the wonder of the birth of Jesus. Now, what does that tell me as a human being? Well, here's what it tells me. It tells me that I can have a historical understanding of Jesus Christ, I can have a theological understanding of Jesus Christ. I can even have an eschatological understanding of Jesus Christ, which means an understanding that he's going to come again and he's the one who's going to rid the earth of all evil. I can have a historical, I can have a theological, and I can have an eschatological understanding of Jesus and still not receive the purpose for which he came. That's why John when he was getting ready to die, was so moved. And he said, I don't want people just to believe in him. 
I don't want them to be somebody where they just sing services and songs. No, I walked with them and I hugged him and I laughed with him and I saw him crucified and I saw the pain and I know where he came from and I want people to know he didn't come to be sung about in a production. He came to produce blessing in your life. You could never experience any other way. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Next week, we're excited to share a special Christmas show with you. We'll have some family with us, and we'll talk about some of our best and most memorable times that we've spent. And we had a lot of fun filming this. I had forgotten some of those traditions and funny moments we had when the kids were younger, but we love celebrating the season together as a family and as God's family. It's always such a special time. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know how we can pray for you. Connect with us on our website at significantlife.com. And don't forget to join us next week. This Christmas, we'd like to invite you to be a part of what God is doing through a significant life in our local community and beyond. At home in Victoria, Texas, we partner with several organizations providing essential resources to those in need, sharing what God has blessed us with so that He can multiply and meet the needs of those in our community. Equipping and encouraging local pastors and church planters worldwide is the heart of Pastor Jim Graff's Significant Church Network. Globally, we continue our work with Ukrainian refugees and developing greater access for children in some of the poorest areas of India to get a first-class education. Through weekly live television, radio, and other on-demand media, the Holy Spirit continues to move through the Pray.com platform. And we're excited about what God is going to do in 2024 as our territory continues to expand. Partner with A Significant Life and Pastor Jim Graff. Consider a generous one-time gift this Christmas. Visit us at asignificantlife.com. Thank you for joining us today and for nurturing the unique significance God has placed within you for His purposes. We appreciate your life and your partnership at A Significant Life. You know, we all rejoice this season in the reality that God gifted us heaven's best in Jesus. And we rejoice too in our opportunity to invest so God's children can live in their potential and so we can reach and resource the overlooked places of America and beyond. Would you pray and consider giving a generous one-time gift so a significant life can continue to reach, impact, and transform lives? God bless you, and we pray you have a very Merry Christmas. Oh, no.